Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 153 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the brilliantly perverse British TV show Black Mirror. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely go watch it now. It's sort of like the Twilight Zone for the social media era. Seven episodes have been released so far, and six of them are available on Netflix streaming right now. So go check out all seven episodes before listening to this show, because this will potentially involve spoilers for every episode of Black Mirror, including the 2014 Christmas special starring John Hamm. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Grady Hendrix, making his sixth appearance on the show. He's one of the founders of the New York Asian Film Festival, and the author of such books as Occupy Space and Satan Loves You. His most recent book, Horror Store, is set in a haunted Ikea, and he recently sold the TV rights to Gail Berman, producer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. So, Grady, welcome to the show. Ahoy! And also joining us today is Teresa DeLucci, who you may remember from our panel on Ridley Scott's Prometheus back in episode 63, and our panel on season 4 of Game of Thrones back in episode 113. Her Game of Thrones reviews appear on Tor.com, and her Hannibal reviews appear on Boing Boing. Follow her on Twitter at TDelucci. So, Teresa, welcome to the show. Hi. And also joining us today for the first time is Sunil Patel. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Intergalactic Medicine Show and Fireside Magazine, and his plays have been performed at the San Francisco Theater Pub and the San Francisco Olympians Festival. He also reviews books for Lightspeed Magazine, and is currently working on a YA novel codenamed Untitled Female Indian Superhero Project. So, Sunil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, so we're going to be talking about Black Mirror. And people have been telling me for a while I had to watch this show, and I finally got around to watching it, and people were absolutely right. It's fantastic. So I just want to encourage everyone to go watch it. And I know you guys, I feel I'm a little bit behind the curve here, because I know you guys all watched this a while ago. So why don't we start out, Grady, uh, why don't you just tell us about how did you first hear about this show, Black Mirror, and how did you come to first watch it? You know, I don't even, it was recent that I heard about it. I don't even know who said something to me. I think it's because I, I know what it was. My sister was a big fan of Dead Set, which was Charlie Brooker's uh, Big Brother zombie series that was on the, uh, I think it eventually aired on BBC, but I think it started out on E4 in the UK. And so she said, oh, he's got this new thing I've heard about. I think it's just about to come on Netflix. And so I watched it when it came on Netflix. So I only saw it a few months ago, but it was all my sister's fault. <laughs> well, yeah, and Dead Set is great. We talked about that back in episode 25, if anyone wants to go check that out. But uh, how about uh, Teresa? How did you come to hear about Black Mirror? Uh, well, my best friend Rupa had been watching it. She'd been downloading it back in like 2013. So she'd been talking about it a long time. She's an adjunct professor at Monmouth University. She teaches um, IT and she shows episode four in her class, like almost every semester. So uh, yeah, you know, it just took me a while to get around to watching it. And uh, when it came on Netflix, you know, that was the most depressing week of TV <laughs> in recent memory. Well, I just watched this entire thing in one day, so that was, oh, was one of the oh cre creepiest, creepiest days of all time. Um, but uh, how about uh, Sunil? Uh, tell us, uh, how did you first get into Black Mirror? So around the end of 2013, I think I actually could not escape mentions of this show, Black Mirror, which I'd never heard of before until the end of 2013. But out of nowhere, 
it was everywhere. And I think it was a lot of Entertainment Weekly was covering it a lot. I was seeing it in suddenly online list of, you know, best shows you're not watching. It's Black Mirror. And I think it was time to when Robert Downey Jr. bought the film rights one of the episodes, which I think is what caused this huge media explosion. But at that point, I it was Black Mirror, Black Mirror, Black Mirror. And eventually that's when I started to, when I wanted to check it out because it was everywhere. It was a show everyone was talking about. Right. Now, now I watched it on Netflix. And ha- right. how, how long has it been? Has, is, does everyone watch it on Netflix or was anyone watching it prior to that? I, I did not watch it on Netflix. I watched it through ways you're not supposed to watch it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I waited for Netflix. I waited for Netflix too. <laughs> Um, all right, but so yeah, so I mentioned the show. It's it's fantastic. Actually, does anyone know anything about like where did this show come from? How did it get to be so great and so demented? Uh, does anyone know anything about the background of the show? I you know, there's not a lot of production info that I could find when I was looking around. Like I, I just didn't see much. It's sort of um, he'd done a series. I don't know if anyone ever watched Nathan Barley. The full episodes are up on YouTube, but it's uh. Charlie Brooker did that with uh, Chris Morris, who did Brass Eye and Jam and a couple of other really, really bizarre and very surreal and horrifying uh, comedy sort of shows uh, in the UK. And so they did this thing called Nathan Barley back in 2005 that started out as an online thing and became a TV show. Um, and it's about just the horrible people you see around you every day. You know, guys with big headphones and like ironic t-shirts and beards and, and that kind of thing. And just what complete wastes of space they are. And it was really technologically pretty, um, advanced. Like it did a lot with like, uh, the guys always promoting his website, trash bash, uh, dot cock. And um, it's so it was a lot of like stuff with social media and a lot of stuff with websites. And they were doing a lot of things with uh, online video, which uh, apparently was a big uh, bone of contention between Charlie Brooker and uh, Chris Morris because Chris Morris wanted to do the video stuff. And Charlie Brooker was like, well, online video will never take off. The technology is too bad. It looks terrible. Um, and then they were ahead of their time. So that's the closest thing I can find that he's sort of done like this, you know, uh, but where this came from, I can't find any info, really. I, I don't have a source on this. I haven't actually read any articles specifically. But from what I have heard, the first episode, the National Anthem, was originally a one-off. It was just supposed to be a small little movie that they made. And that became ordered into a series, which actually seems kind of similar in the way that he's done Nathan Barley, where he starts out with one thing and then it becomes a TV series. Uh, do you guys know? I don't. I honestly had never heard of Charlie Brooker before. I, I started watching this. I mean, I'd watched Dead Set and I thought it was terrific, but I'd never really paid much attention to who had made it. Uh, just sort of, can you just tell us like about him specifically? What do you know about him? I'm a big fan of Weekly White, which I was actually watching uh, before I knew that, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Black Mirror was coming on, which is his sort of like weekly news roundup. And there'd been a screen wipe, which was sort of like a week, kind of like a news roundup too, but it was more about general media. But it's like a 22 to 30 minute, very, very fast paced thing where it's either him sitting on his couch or in a very proper television studio behind a news anchor desk showing clips of the week. Just just the most ridiculous stuff. I mean, I I did some research on him yesterday, so I I listened to some interviews with him. Um, Maybe some pertinent things is he I'm going to get some of these facts wrong, but but I think he was in college and he decided to write sort of his dissertation type thing on video games. 
without checking to see if that was okay with anyone. And then they just rejected it out of hand when they found out it was about video games. And hmm. uh, he didn't feel like writing another one, so he just never uh, got a degree. And uh, it's funny because Black Mirror seems to me so assured and professional and uh, well done. Um, but in person, he's, he's, he's very self-effacing and very, uh, you know, talking about what a disaster he is organizationally and things. And he says that the, <laughs> the last episode of Dead Set he wrote in his underwear on his birthday crying because he didn't think he was going to be able to finish it. <laughs> Um, so he's a pretty funny guy. And yeah, I guess he says he spent his 20s uh, smoking weed and writing video game reviews. And, he'd, and the show The Wipe, um, Grady mentioned, I guess they do a lot of stuff about covering the TV industry. So he knows a lot about TV and, and hates a lot of it, you know, yeah. uh, and knows a lot about video games. And so you, you can kind of see all that stuff in this show. Um, but I guess people have alluded to the, I guess Sunil alluded to the, the first episode, the national anthem. Uh, and I think we, uh, we can't avoid talking about that anymore. So, uh, so Sunil, why don't you tell us a bit about the national anthem? Oh, the National Anthem. Well, it's... I, the National Anthem is an episode that is the first episode of Black Mirror. I think it is one of the least representative episodes of Black Mirror. Um, it's not very science fiction-y. Um, it is a glimpse into the future a little bit, but it's actually fairly present-day-like. And it is the episode that I always tell people, um, it's not all like this. <laughs> I promise. It's not all this depraved. Um... We, we, I'll actually go ahead and say, this is what we like to call the pig-fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> right, so the premise is that there's a, uh, the, the prime minister, the British prime minister, uh, is woken up with news that a Princess Diana-type princess character has been kidnapped, and the uh, kidnapper is going to execute her at four in the afternoon unless the prime minister has sexual intercourse with a pig uh, on live television. And this demand has been put out on YouTube, so everyone in the country is already aware of it, and there's no keeping this under wraps. Uh, and so, Teresa, what what was your reaction to uh, to this episode? <laughs> um, speechless, nauseous. Uh, I thought about it like the whole rest of the afternoon with like a sinking feeling in my stomach. Um, I don't know that I could say that I enjoyed it because of what it was about, but I did enjoy uh, the satire of it. It wasn't as futuristic as I was expecting, so I was glad to know that it wasn't like indicative of the whole series and what that would be like, but it felt very disgustingly plausible. You know, she's the Facebook princess. Um, it's a performance artist who's manipulating things behind the scene to make this big point about people are missing what's really important in the world because they're too busy looking at their computer screens. It was really uh, nihilistic and ugly, um, but I thought it was really well acted. And I loved Lindsay Duncan in it as uh, the prime minister's advisor. She was great on Rome. So it was really good to see her here. Well, yeah, you mentioned that it's uh, satire, but it doesn't play like satire. I mean, it's played completely straight. Yes. And to, to just incredible effect, I thought. It actually reminds me a little bit of Dead Set because I was thinking back to Dead Set and when you hear it's like zombies attack Big Brother, you think it's going to be some ridiculous campy spoof kind of thing, but it's actually completely serious and terrifying. And I think it's really interesting that he does this, that Charlie Brooker does this sort of satire, but he plays it so, so straight. Yeah, I got to say, actually, it's my favorite episode of Black Mirror. Uh, hands down, it's the one I love the most. Um, 
there's, you know, I mean, I get that, okay, pig fucking's kind of squicky and all that, but, um, you know, the thing I love, the two things I love about it so much is one is, Charlie Brooker's always been very, uh, he's run afoul of sort of the human hive mind a couple of times, um, making jokes at the, you know, the inter- the internet, I guess, which is now a, a person, uh, hates, uh, things like that. And there's a part of this that's very, really interesting to me in that, you know, everyone hates this prime minister, um, in the show and they're all like relishing seeing what's going to happen. Oh, I can't believe he's going to do it. This is so disgusting. All this. And then everyone gathers around their TVs to watch and they're drinking and they're laughing and they're cheering. And within like a few seconds of it beginning, people are horrified and turning away. And there's a really beautiful thing there, which is that everyone's always in this sort of group waves. We want this. We want that. We want all these things. And when they get it, they're usually disgusted with what it is they want. And I think it's a really, really great moment on the show. And I also love, love the last bit where his wife just can't stand to be around the prime minister anymore. You know, it's, yes, he did this for the right reasons and all this stuff, but there's some things that you do that you you can't take back. You know, it's, I really, I love it so much. Yeah, so what did you guys think of the, like, Teresa, do you agree about the ending? Um, well, I thought it was, the way it was set up in the in the show, I thought it would have been, like, there's so much shame associated with this act, this disgusting thing he was basically forced to do. and you know, the suspense of, will he really do this? Is this really something someone would do? And I got the sense at the end that, you know, he was so ashamed by what he had done, he couldn't pick up the phone when his wife was calling. And maybe in that moment, if he had spoken to her, yeah, they might have been able to face each other again, privately. And the fact that she stayed with him you know, after that, just publicly, but privately couldn't look at him anymore. I think he could have avoided that if he had just shared his shame with her in like a private way and what it was really like and connected with her, you know, but it showed where his priorities were, you know, getting that, you know, affirmation from and from other people, his constituents. Right. It's it's so interesting The like Rady was talking about, the, just the sort of psychological like waves of, in the story, how, how, how things turn and just like the little, bunch of little twists at the ends. It's just really, really, really well done. Um, I don't know. Sunil, do you have anything else you want to say about, about this episode? Uh, any other thoughts on? Yeah, well, it's, I, I was actually, I was laughing that, that is, is actually Grady's favorite episode <laughs> because it's one of my <laughs> least favorite. And I think it'll be fun. But at the end, I think we're definitely going to have to sort of do our rankings, but that's always the thing you do with Black Mirror. Is because everyone has a very specific ranking in these episodes. Because they're all so different, you sort of see where people's tastes lie and what they like about each thing. I think it's really cool about Black Mirror that every episode is so unique that ranking them is not necessarily an indication of quality so much as also sort of what you look for in this show. Um, but I actually don't, it's not my least favorite episode, but I actually really like it for being exciting and action packed and really tense. I thought it really worked well as a suspense, suspense thriller. <laughs> <laughs> because you like 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 Teresa was saying, you really were worrying. Like, is this gonna is it gonna do it? Is it gonna do it? What's gonna happen? Are they gonna find him? Is the sniper gonna do the thing? Now they're going to like a secret you know house over here, and there's guns. And I thought it really worked as an exciting episode like that. So I enjoyed watching it from that perspective. And I was definitely surprised when they went all the way. <laughs> uh, when he walked into the room and the 
pig was there, and they're like, "Sir, we drugged it." I just wanted to vomit. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and they that put, was awful. They've put the pornography in his uh, eye line. I mean, every all Ugh. the details were just so persuasive. Um, but it's weird. I mean, I think what I really like about it is just how thought provoking it is in terms of well, somebody. This is a matter of life or death. Are you going to do this thing? And it's not going to hurt you physically in any way, right? It's just entirely about changing how other people perceive you, or like social the social cost of doing this thing. But the really interesting thing too, and it just pops up at the end, is you know it's like don't they pop in a few months later and his poll numbers are back where they should be, and it's sort of like no one remembers it anymore, you know, uh, which I think is fascinating. You know, even before the internet, but it happens so much faster and more viciously now. We find these people that we just want to humiliate publicly, and we really chew them up and spit them out, and then. Eight months later, one year later, they're they're a trivia question answer, you know. Like they they we forget about them, but they gotta live with it, you know. It's really I I I love that in the show. But see, Grady, I didn't have the sense that everyone had forgotten about it so much as that they felt sympathy for him, you know, that they all hate they all hated him, but then he had done this thing for the greater good, and that made people admire him in a way. Yeah, I think his poll numbers went up. They went up, but I, I guess, and you know, it's been a few weeks since I saw it, but I thought it was sort of like, it was sort of normalizing is the, if I remember correctly, like, you know, it, cause it turned out he didn't need to fuck the pig. Like that was the worst <laughs> thing is it was completely unnecessary. Um, so it was just, it was just interesting to me, you know, that like the world moves on and he and his wife are living with this horrible, horrible, you know, uh, I guess you can't say an elephant in the room. But <laughs> I mean, so Sunil, what 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 would you say is something you don't like about this episode that sort of knocks it out of the top kind of spots for you? Um, well, one thing it, it is, it, like I said, it, it is one of the. It's not very science fictional, and I was definitely more attracted to the more the the episode with more science fictional elements to it. Um, the uh, the episodes that I liked the most were about themes and ideas that I care about more. This was sort of I do um interested in sort of things like how social media and public perception are a thing. But that's not really my main focus. And I think people who are a lot more interested in that realm of society and, you know, social sciences are going to be, gra- gravitate this episode because it's, it's making a very specific point about that world. But it's not completely what I'm interested in. Hmm. Does anyone else have any criticism of this episode? They could have gotten a prettier pig. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Sunil, why don't you tell us which uh, episode was your favorite? So that was a, um, it generally, I say the tie between Be Right Back and Entire History of You. But I generally think that Be Right Back has the upper hand for me because it's a lot more emotional and emotionally wrenching for me. But those two episodes, I think, are my, are the top two easily. Um, the episodes I would say, if you, if you want to tell someone to watch Black Mirror, those two episodes give you an idea of why I'm so ecstatic about the show. Yeah, and so I'll just say for people who maybe don't remember or haven't watched it, so Be Right Back, there's a woman and she has a basically an Android replica of her dead boyfriend constructed from his social media profile so that it acts like he would have acted. And then Entire History of You, there are people and they have these little um, microchips or something implanted in their heads that record all their visual data so they can sort of rewind and look at anything that they've seen uh, as long for the entire period of time that the device had been implanted. Um, and so I don't know. So, uh, Grady, what do you think? Do you, uh, do you think that these are some of the better episodes? Yeah. I mean, they really are terrific. You know, it's funny. It, it's really hard to pick nits with, uh, Black Mirror just because they're so well done. I mean, they're well written. They're not lazy. They're well shot. And so 
when when I feel like I have any criticism of an episode, it more has to do with I wish they'd done this, I wish they'd done that, rather than they did something wrong. Um, and you know, with Be Right Back, which is I, I thought uh, tremendously moving, um, I loved it so much because originally, when the woman, the hus- her husband dies, and the the f- fake version of him is simply an online presence. She skypes with it, she tweets with it, she texts with it, um, you know, and sends him pictures. But he's non corporeal. And then she's able to sort of, you know, go to a next stage in it, which is um, an actual physical replica of her husband. And I found the the part of it where he was not a physical presence so much more compelling than when he is, because it's just like once you have the physical presence, well, then you run up into all these like uh, it starts like, well, you know, does he eat? Does he sleep? Does he go to the bathroom? What are you going to do with this guy? Does he just sit around all day? Like, um and as long as it was like a, a non-physical one, to me, that was so rich because so many people are in long distance relationships. I mean, I consider people close friends that I text with that I see maybe once every couple of months. Um, it, it's, you know, we have this really weird relationship with our friends right now. I, I text with my wife during the day more than I actually see her. Um, and you know, and to me, it's like we have this really weird relationship with people who aren't there. And I really loved that episode when it was digging deep on that. Yeah, I actually heard Charlie Brooker say that what gave him the idea was he was just on Twitter one day and it, the the thought just popped into his head. What if all these people are dead and it's just software like pretending to be them? Would I even know the difference? You know? Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I had a friend die uh, a couple of years ago and I, you know, I came across his contact info on my phone while I was cleaning out contacts. And I, I mean, and I, and it was funny. I was reading, I think maybe the same guardian article you did where he talked about that happened to him also. And I couldn't delete it. I mean, it felt way too final, but at the same time, you know, what's he going to do? Call me? Like (laughs) it's, it's, we, we have a really weird relationship with people who aren't physically present in our lives. It's, it's bizarre. And I, and I love this episode because I found it very moving and I hate this episode because I feel like there's so much more material there. You know, there could be a whole season of Black Mirrors dealing with that. Well, right. And we're going to have to talk about that in terms of the episode, the entire history of you. Um, Maybe I just will say that the, the the episode, the entire history of you, was originally conceived as kind of more of a like thriller, and they said that they just couldn't afford to do it, you know, or they didn't have the budget and they didn't have the time to do it. So that's why they made it more of an interpersonal story. And um, Robert Downey Jr.'s company, I think, has optioned it to try to make it into a feature film uh, more along the original um, premise. So yeah, I think a lot of these stories uh, might benefit from being expanded a little bit. Uh, but so, Teresa, why don't you, well, let's get you in here. What did you think about either of these episodes? Um, I kind of agree with Sunil. I think uh, Be Right Back and Entire History of You were kind of like neck and neck as some of my favorites. Although I did really like 15 Million Merits. Uh, yeah, different that's, reasons. that's my third one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the entire history of you, it just hit on a lot of like neuroses and insecurities. Like, I would not want the ability to be able to relive all of my mistakes and potential fuck ups. And like, I don't even listen to my, you know, these podcasts, <laughs> you know, like I just let them exist. Like, I don't want to hear like everything I've done. That was, you know, every time I misspoke or, you know, had an awkward moment, things like that. And then to put that into the context of, you know, like the job interview was interesting. And those were horrible people that he was interviewing with. 
you know, like really amoral company. Uh, but then to put that in a relationship that's a long-term relationship in decline and mistrust and some of the images in there were some of the most disturbing things. Like I put them on par with the pig fucking, you know, when, uh, Oh, the sex scene, the sex scene, when they're oh. both, their eyes are, you know, clouded over, whited over, and they're both watching memories of actual good sex. And they're just mechanically fucking, Oh, it was awful. You know? Uh, yeah, to me that yeah. to me that's like the most chilling moment in all the Black Bearer episodes is that sex scene. <laughs> totally agree. It was like, and I, you know, I still don't know if you know he was watching the two of them having sex from earlier in their relationship. What was she watching? Are we supposed to think she was watching a similar clip, or was she watching, you know, a memory with the guy from Marrakesh, like that douchebag guy? No, I never um, even thought of yeah, that. That's, yeah, oh, that's good, Teresa. So you should be writing these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that... it, oof. Yeah, I mean, that that episode, um, yeah, I used to list it as my favorite because it felt so real and really used uh, that grain technology in a way, you know, very, it felt like a really strong SF story. Um, but then I kind of think about it a little way too, and it's kind of indicative of some of the other problems I have with Black Mirror kind of overarching. You know, and that's kind of like the way women are portrayed in, in certain episodes that definitely gives you something to think about. Like, okay, the future really sucks for everybody, <laughs> but women in particular are, you know, they're unfaithful, easily manipulated, uh, liars, criminals, you know, things like that. It brought up some other issues. So I knocked it down a peg and would put Be Right Back ahead of it just slightly because, uh, Agent Carter, you know, I don't know anybody's <laughs> names on this show. Agent Carter was so good in that episode, you know, and so different from a lot of the other women that are portrayed on Black Mirror. I had no idea that was Haley Atwell until the credits hit, and I was astounded. I just... Well, I just watched Captain America like two months ago, so I'm like, oh, hey, her. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say about the tech, you mentioned the, the um, what was it called? The grain. The grain, the grain technology. All the technology in this is so convincing, and I find that so striking when most Hollywood movies, they can't uh, portray current technology in a way that seems even the slightest bit convincing. <laughs> yeah. And and this actually portrays futuristic technology in a way that seems completely believable. And it seems like you can just imagine going into the uh, the Apple store in a, a couple of years and, and trying out some of this stuff. So the, the thing you said, Teresa, about how the entire interview sort of feels like a good science fiction story is sort of how I feel about every episode of Black Mirror. Every episode of Black Mirror feels like, like an incredibly good science fiction story that I read. Like a really and like Grady said as well, everyone is, is so well executed, well written, well acted, well constructed. And the funny thing about the entire history review is it is actually like a very good science fiction story that I read afterward. Uh, I don't know if you've read Ted Chiang's The Truth of Fact, The Truth of Feeling. No. Uh, it was a Hugo nominated story, but it is about a very similar technology. Uh, it, it's called Remem in his story, where again you you can play back all your memories visually and orally, just like in the just like an episode. And he takes a very different tack to it, um, but it's using that same concept of what if you could, what if all your memories were stored visually and you could replay them. And it's actually really well. It's it's actually a great story that sort of takes that same concept and does a very different thing with it, which is. Uh, a thing that I like about science fiction in general, when you say when you say people, oh, this this ripped this off, or like this is the same idea, is that it's not of course it's not it's not about the idea itself, but what you do with it. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I used the same idea in the story I wrote in college that that won the Asimov Award. So, I mean, it's not, yeah. And, and it was funny because I thought I'd come up with that idea, but then like my radar is up. So every time I see somebody use that idea earlier than me, I, I note it. And I, I saw one that was, it went back to like 1834 or something. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all the ideas in these episodes are pretty familiar science fiction ideas, I would say, right? Let me think about it. But I mean, it, it is how... Except for the pig yeah. fucking. Except for the pig fucking one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I also like, I think it's similar. I'm, I actually just read a Ted Chiang story collection, The Stories of Your Life and Others. So I'm, a, I'm on a big Ted Chiang kick right now. But what I like about Ted Chiang is that he takes a science fictional concept and he sort of takes it to its extreme. He thinks about it as much as possible, what the ramifications would be to society, to a person, and so on. And I think that's what Charlie Brooker does in all these episodes. He takes one idea and takes it to an extreme and sees it takes takes it to well, the breaking point of what it will do to a human person. Like entire history of you, like what would be the worst possible thing that could happen with this technology? It completely destroys his relationship. Well, you know, that's actually it's interesting you say that because it's it's one of those things that I find very um, one of my biggest dissatisfactions with genre right now is people are very much, and there's a lot of room for this, a lot of books right now are very much into big, wild, crazy ideas, which is so much fun. But it, it, everything sometimes feels like it's set at volume 11. And I kind of miss that idea of taking a very simple, very straightforward concept like, hey, nothing can ever be forgotten here. In this relationship, you never get like that, that actually nice human thing that's not a design flaw. It's like a small mercy where who said what will never be 100% sure. And then just sort of extrapolates from there what the emotional ramifications of that are. And I find when I find an author who's doing that, I, I really, that's just such my jam right now is, is the smaller stories that feel more emotionally connected and kind of grounded. Right. I want to read this listener comment. This It's apropos here. But uh, so Will Miner says, as far as I know, Black Mirror is the only pure sci-fi show on TV in that it actually shows how society is affected by technology. Not even Star Trek did that, parentheses, at least not very often. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Is this uh, is this the only pure sci-fi show on TV? Well, if you take the definition of science fiction to be fiction about science, then yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't know what else is out there except like CSI, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I I can see that, but it, because I think that's why I get that feeling of reading a really good science fiction story from watching Black Mirror. It does what really good science fiction does. It takes science fiction and uses science to explore what the future would be like, and it also comments on the present as well, um, regarding what the scientific advancements could tell us about how we're actually um, acting currently. Um, to go off what uh, Grady was saying just earlier, actually, this actually goes to be right back, is you were saying that, you know, we have this sort of same family, uh, we have the same relationship with death and online identity currently, where, you know, you find someone on your phone who's no longer there, and it has this very specific reaction to you. And in Be Right Back, he does the same thing where he takes a very simple idea, you know, what if you could communicate with the, the digital personality of the person that is deceased, and he takes it to an extreme. He, he starts out with the just communicating online, and then he brings it to the Android full version. And I personally, I mean, I actually love the the first part as well. We were just discussing online identity versus personal identity. But then I also love that he takes it to that next extreme where now this entire person is in your house. Yeah. It resembles <laughs> your husband, but is not your husband. And that's what I really love about this episode is that in most stories, 
you would get the story where you get this AI version of your dead person, and the 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 grieving widow essentially treats the AI like their husband. But I love that she's completely aware at every point that this is not her husband, and that's a that's like a block between them, and it's it makes it more interesting that she has to sort of understand how can I relate to this android who is constructed from my husband but is not my husband. So there's a weird identity issue there where she has to kind of construct a new version of her husband and whether she can relate to him as this new version of him. Because she knows it's not him, but she wants something. I kind of want to contrast the ending of Be Right Back with the entire history of you because I liked the ending of Be Right Back better because of what you're talking about, that it seems like she there's this new technology and it has its upsides and it has its downsides and she kind of finds a way to live with it. Whereas I felt like the ending of the entire history of you where he just like chops the thing out of his head. Uh, it felt like more of a um, like an old fashioned kind of science fiction thing where there's some new technology and then we find out it's horrible and then we like destroy it. And it would be like, you know, you're just like you have like a bad experience with your iPhone. You're like, I'm never using a phone again or something. <laughs> you know, it, it seems like once the technology is there, I, I would have liked to see a, a, an ending that was more like shades of gray than just like I'm chopping this new technology out of my head. Yeah, it was interesting that they were, you know, be right back or entire history of you. And then be right back. You know, you could watch them back to back on Netflix. So it kind of like seeing entire history of you immediately before be right back kind of colors the way you see the very beginning of be right back. Because when I first saw it, you know, watching the guy on his iPhone all the time, ignoring his his beautiful girlfriend, I'm like, oh, this is going to be another story about like how tech addiction, you know, kills a good relationship. And then it completely changed and it turned into something else. Actually, it turned into her you know, that movie, Her, uh, which was oh, yeah, produced yeah. around the same time, similar themes, except in this version of the future, there's no high-waisted pants. So <laughs> win for Black Mirror on that. <laughs> um, and then it became something else yet again. I think Charlie Brooker's really good at doing these kind of uh, reversals, like not in that M. Night Shyamalan, oh, what a twist way, but more in a like devastating like series of like, you think you're watching one thing, then this thing. It's going to happen instead. It goes completely off into somewhere else. And I thought this story did it well. White Bear, of course, and then uh, White Christmas. You know, they're, they're really, it's like a, a house style for Black Mirror. You know, I don't think that at the end, she, um, she wasn't like living with the technology in a way. She put it up in the attic, like how uh, Ash's mom put all of his dead brother's like pictures up in the attic. Like she just didn't want to look at it and deal with it. So she just yeah, but it wasn't like she like like blew up the robot or something. But that was that was what I was going to say though is that yeah he winds up up in the attic next to everyone's you know the Commodore sixty four and your VCR and with any other outmoded piece of technology you don't want it in the house anymore you don't get much use for it but you can't stand to put it in the garbage so you stick it in the attic. I mean to me that's so sad. He's in the attic with like the old television. That's actually interesting. I hadn't actually seen it from that perspective. I sort of viewed, I think, the way David used it in a way that she sort of accepted him as a part of her life in a way. But because, again, because he's so humanoid to me, I guess at that point, I almost viewed him as humanoid as well. And so I viewed him in that perspective as opposed to a piece of technology in the attic. But the fact that she couldn't, you know, kill him, like which, which is what it seemed to be moving towards while she was in it, destroy him, the fact that she could not do that sort of spoke to his quote-unquote humanity as an AI. 
But at the same time, you know, I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen that really famous Ikea commercial that Spike Jones did, where the, they put the little lamp in the garbage and it rains and the sad music plays and you feel really sad for the lamp. <laughs> and then a guy walks on and says, you feel sorry for this lamp? What are you, stupid? It's an inanimate object. <laughs> and am I a bad person? I might have made him jump off the cliff. Oh. <laughs> he seemed perfectly nice for a robot and everything. He was great, but that that's was not Bill Weasley. <laughs> Is that who that was? I thought he looked familiar. Yes. Oh, all that's, right. That's a, all that's right. A, now maybe I'm. I'll, I'll rethink my stance on that. That's the thing about this series. It's like you mentioned. You know, the woman from Rome. Is there are so many people from other shows in this show? I never ever recognized them because they were so different. Like uh, in Fifty Million Merits has Posh Kenneth from Skins, and I love Skins, and Posh Kenneth was great. I had no idea if that was Posh Kenneth. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk, though, about Teresa mentioned the ending of White Bear and said it was good. I actually I, I had mixed feelings about that. Um, so this is the episode where there's a woman and she wakes up in a chair and seems to be in a world in which everyone's been. It's like the, the movie The Signal, basically, where everyone's kind of been infected by some electronic signal that's turned them into kind of zombies who just record you with their phones. And then some people are go around killing you. And then at the end, it turns out, spoiler warning, just making sure that uh, that she's like uh, a convict and this is her punishment. And I felt that there weren't enough clues. And so I felt the twist at the end kind of came out of nowhere and I would have appreciated more clues. But I'd be curious. Uh, Sunil, what, do you, what did you think about that? So White, White Bear is my is uh, number four on my, on my, on my list of episodes. I, I know a lot of people who love it and I, I completely understand why people love it. I think it's sort of a great horror movie setup. And I, and I loved the twist when it came and it completely blew my mind and broke apart everything I thought about the episode. And it was really like a messed up, you know, vision for society. But I think I agree with you that it did sort of, it, 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 it felt like a little bit of too much of a twist and that there was not much set up to it is because it sort of made you feel like you were in a different sort of episode and it was going to be about something else. But I think once the twist happened and it explained everything, and it sort of went, and you, and you, and you see the first half in, in a new light. It does work. And I think one of the, my favorite parts about that episode is the credits. And it, do, and it, Black Mirror does this sometimes in the credits. Uh, it also does it in the Waldo moment to, to less great effect. But I love how in White Bear, the credits, oh, the episode's over. Here are the credits. And then as the credits flash, you get these, the episode's still going on and you see the cycle continuing and it becomes all the more chilling, like, this is just going to keep happening over and over. Right. I agree with you that the credits were very effective and they did a good job of selling it in retrospect. But uh, yeah, I thought they could have used more setup. But Grady, what, where do you come down on this one? You know, it's funny. I didn't love White Bear when I first saw it, um, especially once the twist started to come out. But out of every single episode of Black Mirror, it's the one that's the most stuck in my head and the one I keep returning to and the one where the visuals really sing for me. And you know, maybe it's because, like, I'm a horror movie guy and there's, you know, it's such a horror movie setup. Um, but also, um, there's something, there's something really resonant about it in, in the sense that it, it does, well, it does an amazing job of flipping your expectations. You know, at first you're on her side, then you're not on her side, then you're on her side again. And I always really appreciate when something, like, really gets you flipping that way. Um, but there's also, you know, that is the common um 
I guess that's the platonic ideal of punishment, right? That someone can feel horror for something they've done without it ever getting stale for all eternity. I mean, that's what hell's supposed to be in some conceptions. That's what incarceration is supposed to be. You're supposed to spend 30 years reflecting on your, 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 your sins, you know? Um, that's what being sent to your room is supposed to be. You're supposed to go up there and think about what you've done. And, it's so harrowing to actually see it sort of emotionally unpacked that this is what it would be like to experience the full horror of something you've done, a crime you've committed, to feel guilty about it and to have that never get stale. So maybe that's just because it's such a big cultural idea and it really unpacks it in such a way that's like makes you feel shitty for ever believing in that cultural ideal uh, idea. Um, maybe that's why it sticks with me. I think it's actually sort of similar to the national anthem in that way, the way you pointed out that it was sort of a thing that the society and people in general, they think they want. But, you know, in, in national anthem, it was, we think we want to see this horrible act and then we're ashamed of it. Whereas in white bear, it's like, we think we want to punch criminals this way and we're pretty okay with it. Well, and it's also, it's funny though. It's like, you know, I agree, but it's like, you feel like that's just, like you come away from that episode. Maybe this was just me because you're right. The audience feels no remorse about it, but you feel like they're so degraded as humans. You know, you're like, it, it's, you just feel like, God, these people are, are just lost and hopeless. If this is something they approve of, um, they take their kids too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, so it, weird. You know, this would have been a completely different episode if we weren't with her point of view, the, the perpetrator's point of view from the beginning. Do you know what I mean? If we had started out with anyone else's point of view, at the end we go, well, that's kind of crummy, but she did, you know, kill a kid. She's getting what she deserves. But because we start out with, with the, the perpetrator, we feel this automatic sympathy, you know, just because that was our originating point of view. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting when you watch it because... She has her mind wiped. Is she or is she not the same person who committed her crimes when she has no memory of them at all? So yeah. it's the people in the park are doing the same thing, essentially being spectators to torture, which is what she was yeah. incarcerated for in the first place. But then it's true when you find out, oh, she's, you know, helped with a child murder and, you know, she's horrible. And you're like, yeah, fuck this lady. But then wait, like every day. And is this really, like, that's like really cruel and too unusual. And then I kind of think about some of, like, this episode felt a little less plausible to me yeah. than other Black Mirror sure, episodes. Yeah. Like, is this only, like, specially notorious criminals <laughs> that they do this for? You know, does every kind of criminal get a justice park of their own? And how would that work? Is this like a holiday in that town where everyone doesn't have to work and they just go and participate in the spectacle? <laughs> right. I, did, I assumed it was like a long weekend or something. Yeah, like a camping trip. And well, how weird must it be on like Wednesday, though, when like she's going through all this horror and there's like two people filming? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I want to pick up on what Teresa was saying, though, about if they've wiped her memory, is it still her? And that's a really interesting philosophical question. But I think we have the same question now with prisoners. You know, we, there's some 50-year-old guy in prison, and he's in prison for life for something he did when he was 18. Is he still even the same person, really, as that 18-year-old who committed the crime? Well, I think one of the reasons the show seems so horrible is kind of exactly this, which is, this is punishment without even a nod to the conception of the fig leaf of rehabilitation. 
She's just, she's never going to change because she doesn't remember it. She's just going to be punished forever. And it's a little bit like what you're saying. If someone's in prison for 30 years and they find Jesus or whatever it is they do, and they really become a different person, like we're not giving them a chance to be rehabilitated if we're not commuting their death sentence to life or their life sentence to some sentence of years. So, you know, the idea of punishment without rehabilitation, without even like, and stripping away the illusion of rehabilitation that we're supposed to believe in, which doesn't seem to exist so much in prisons anymore, is you're just left with punishment. It's horrifying. All right. So I think we need to move on to some other episodes. And Teresa, you mentioned that you really liked 15 Million Merits. Uh, you want yes. to talk? Oh, actually, okay. So this is a episode where there's a, it's sort of, it seems to be some sort of dystopian future where people have to ride exercise bikes in order to earn points that they can spend on uh, stupid crap. And then uh, the only way to escape is a reality, as an American Idol style reality uh, show, contest, uh, talent contest. So, well, what did you like so much about this episode? Um, well, first, I thought it was the most beautifully filmed of the episodes. I think it was really eye catching with all of these screens, like garish colors of the reality show, the animation of um, all the different kinds of reality media and you know, like Xbox avatars and stuff. It was relatable, but taken to like the 10th power. And, uh, you know, I just like that it was a dystopia. It was definitely the most like futuristic, like Twilight Zone of the episodes. You know, like it's completely not given a context for why the world is that way. You know, they're not just powering, um, they're powering their surroundings. Like they're riding the bicycles to create energy that powers their buildings and stuff too. So you get this sense of like an energy crisis and these people just have to be on these bikes and do this work and how they get out. Um, I really loved Bing and I loved uh, Lady Sybil in it. I liked their romance. It was sweet and this kind of like garish fake world, like really 1984. And uh, then the ending, you know, again, like those reversals where you think you're watching one kind of program and then she goes on stage and does her audition and it becomes completely grotesque. And then when you see Bing trying to work to get back on the show and it becomes yet another thing that leaves you devastated again, because <laughs> that's what Black Mirror really likes to do. They make, they like to make you feel sick to your stomach. I think what I, when I described this episode, uh, this actually this entire series, I basically said like, this show is fucking brutal, but it's like a really good hurt. Because it's earned. It's really earned. You, it's emotionally devastating, but it earned it in so short a time, too. Because especially in this, you mentioned this world, this world is really fully realized. And in, in, this is actually it's the longest episode. It's a supersized episode. Well, it's longer, not as long as a Christmas special, but it's the regular episode. It's like 15 minutes longer than the regular episodes. But all the steps were really well constructed. And you felt like you'd been transported to this dystopian future. And I agree with you that one of my, one of my, one of the reasons it's, it's, you know, it's third and not maybe timed or first and second is because you can't really tell what the world is like. The world building's kind of iffy because I have no idea why this world exists like this. <laughs> it's, it feels a little more satirical as opposed to a realistically plausible future with satire elements. Right. No, I agree with that. I agree also with what Teresa was saying about how beautiful, I mean, just the part where the girl's singing, I just found so beautiful. And that makes it so much worse when that gets, they sh it gets shot all over. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I found this episode, like, at first, I didn't like this episode as much because, because of what you're saying, Sunil. And also, I found it a little bit slow. But then the ending, I just thought was so devastating. And 
I mean, I think maybe just because like I do this podcast, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to change the world with my message and stuff. And watching this episode made me think like, oh, man, am I just, you know, is there any way to escape being co-opted by the system, you know, or is does any message that you try to put out there just become commodified? I mean, it really makes you think about stuff like that. I know they put Bing's Rebellion. It's turned into like a digital Sheikh Guevara shirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, this episode also features what I think is one of the most horrifying concepts in Black Mirror because it's something that I think we're about five minutes away from as, as a culture, which is you have to pay to make advertising go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. It's it's really terrifying. Yeah, I mean, this whole world, like the whole aspiration for all of these people is to become like the best possible shopper. You know, everything's like, oh, it's so great on this, you know, porn star, reality star now. Oh, you get to buy your own clothes, live in a bigger apartment, and you get a view of the outside world, which we don't really know is real. I don't think it matters if that, yeah. you know, Bing's final view is real. No one seems to go outside anyway. I was going to say, he's never going outside. <laughs> exactly. You know, even Bing himself, he just wants to be a better shopper. You know, he complains that nothing is real in this world, but his love for Abby is real. Um, but he doesn't notice that there is another girl in that facility with him who does have feelings for him, but he just kind of ignores her and goes for, like, the prettier, shinier girl. Yeah, You know, not recognizing that other people will have real feelings, too. So it's kind of like when I look at that girl, like sitting alone on her bed, kind of crying as Bing is kind of selling out. I thought that was really devastating, too. Like the side characters in the story all really fit, like with the main theme. It was a really, really tight episode. I also thought it was interesting how the the first person shooter that he plays basically encourages you to hate the poor. You know, sort of like this. (laughs) It's like literal class warfare, I guess. Well, you know, one thing that that keeps getting brought up, I think, over and over, and it really is one of those things with Black Mirror, is that every episode is depressing. Um, And they all end terribly. And, like, 15 Million Merits is one of the few where you think it's actually going to have a happy ending, and it just has an even worse ending. And I kind of was thinking about this because I'm like, well, is Charlie Brooker just a pessimist or what? And I kind of, I sort of realized though these episodes are about fifty minutes long, and in some cases fifty million, million merits are a little longer. But it's like they're not long enough to have a happy ending. Like we're introduced to the technology that humanity's going to interact with, or or whatever thing is. And by the time he's done sort of unpacking the the impact that's going to have, and you realize how devastating and horrible it is, it's time for the episode to be over. So I, I sometimes wonder if these episodes would be a little happier if they were longer. But I like that. I, I like that though, Grady, because I mean, I mean, I actually heard him say that, you know, you don't get that on TV. You know, TV is so it's like the TV shows in this uh, in these episodes. It's, it's just a, it's just this anodyne crap to kind of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, make you you know, like stay asleep and that he wanted to do something different. And that's, that's why I like the anthology format, is you can have horrible things happen to the characters. That, and that's, oh, that's the end of the story. You don't have to, they don't have to come back next week for some other, for another episode. Yeah. No, 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 and totally. And I, I mean, look, it's definitely, I, I would hate to see some, like, happy ending tacked onto the last few minutes. But I also wonder if, if some of the reason they're so resolutely downbeat is simply the limitations of, you got 50 minutes. Well, I don't know about that specifically, especially when you consider White Christmas, which is a lot more time. You still don't have the end. Um, but <laughs> true, I I do agree that it's every episode is so depressing and and sort of cynical in a way. And I, I mean, I love them because of that. But I also wonder 
there is there is definitely this push in our culture in general where it seems like depressing tragedy drama is quote unquote good, like quality wise. And anything happy and positive is bad. You think, you know, you look at the Oscars, it's always dramas. Comedies cannot win awards because comedies are considered to be a lesser form of art. Yeah, I review Game of Thrones like professionally. It's torture every week, especially this season. There's definitely nothing feel good about it, and it's so popular. Right. Still. You, you look at, yeah, people you look expect at new, it. Right. You, you even think you know the what are the shows that everyone look up and think it's Breaking Bad and Mad Men and people about you know terrible things happening to people, people being sad, and that's sort of what we consider quality. And Black Mirror is incredible at that. And I do. I mean, I wonder what would a a happy ending episode of Black Mirror be like? And would that even be an episode of Black Mirror? But I, but I, I do wonder, you know, whether part of it, part of the reason for I need depressing, tragic, you know, cynical ending is because that is a marker of quality in our, in our culture. I don't think so. I mean, I, th- I think my, my difficulty with the idea that, that the, the, that the show was made dark to be popular is that it seems to me that everything about the show was like done in a complete like lack of concern about whether it would be popular or not. I mean, it's it's kind of yeah. like, it's like hard to even imagine how this show got made. It's so, you know, so non-commercial in so many ways. Well, it wasn't made in America. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, and of course we screamed when they heard, when they, when we heard they were trying to bring it to America, because it's not, oh, this is going to fly on network television. But no, but I don't, I don't think that there, were, there was any commercial motive behind the show at all. I, I, I think that, uh, Charlie Brooker is just like angry at television and this is him expressing his anger at television and it's a complete artistic statement as far as I can tell. Well, I think you're right. I mean, but I think the thing people respond to, because I think Sunil's point's a good one, which doesn't necessarily apply to Black Mirror, but which is that we are predisposed in like culture to think depressing things are somehow more serious than funny things. Um, but you know, I think one thing we respond to with Black Mirror that transcends, that, that I think plays into what you're saying is, this show is really honest. I mean, it's very, very honestly made. There's nothing in this show that I would call a cheat or a shortcut or, you know, it very much is, here's the technology, here's the people it's affecting, how does that play out, and how can I show that? And I think that's definitely what I respond to. And what makes it feel so different is it's so unrelentingly, it so unrelentingly plays straight and fair. Uh, and there is also, I mean, I got to say, against my own point about it being resolutely depressing, between the lines, actually, Black Mirror is kind of optimistic um, in the sense that so many of the episodes are about how things that we generally think of as failures of being human, like death or forgetting stuff or shame, are actually, like, instead of being design flaws, they're actually there for useful reasons. You know, we, like, in, like, the entire history of you is what happens in a relationship where nothing can be forgotten. You can't have a relationship, you know, and be right back. What happens when there's no more death? Well, you know, it kind of doesn't work. Or national anthem, what happens when, like, shame is sort of gone, you know, and when everyone as a country decides, like, we're going to be shameless. And it doesn't work. It has this devastating impact on the people at the center of it. So there is something kind of optimistic about it. All right. So I think we need to uh, cover the last two episodes here before we run out of time. Uh, we had a listener comment from Andrew McPherson. He says, only one week episode in the first two series, I thought the Waldo moment was kind of funny. And I thought the ending scene of a totalitarian regime based on an animated politician was amusing. But overall, the episode fell flat for me. 
Uh, what do you guys think about that? Uh, Teresa, what do you think about that uh, appraisal of the uh, of that episode? I totally agree. Totally agree. It's probably my least favorite episode. Just I watched it once and I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. But I, I, I didn't like Waldo's voice at all. I didn't find him funny for even a second, which I know I wasn't supposed to per se, but it made it really annoying to watch the episode in general. Um, I did like uh, the candidate Liam Monroe. Uh, that was Brutus from Rome or right. Edmure Tully from Game of Thrones. He's <laughs> always good in everything. He always plays such a jerk. The poor guy is like really typecast. And I did like the totalitarian, you know, like the cartoon running the, the world. But I find it hard to believe that anyone would remember Waldo after like 15 minutes of you know, his shtick, like it would get old and people would move on. If they could forget pig fucking, they could forget, <laughs> you know, Waldo. Uh, right. Does anyone disagree with that? Um, I, I didn't, I actually liked the episode because there was something I, I really responded. I, I agree. It's not my favorite of the bunch, but I did really like it because there was something really interesting in it, which is that, you know, politicians are sort of required to be entertainers now. And, and the more entertaining they are, the more attention they get. And, um, you know, politics is really boring. And, and the people who are actually doing stuff and involved in it are, are kind of boring people. And the things they're involved with are largely boring. And, um, now that politics is sort of like a, a, a lot of different competing TV channels, you know, it has to be exciting and interesting. And, and I did think this cut to sort of the heart of that issue. Um, in a way that I, I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, it's certainly not what I would say is my favorite. I mean, I thought the premise was good. I think that, I, I think even Charlie Brooker said that it didn't quite come together. I mean, I thought my, my main problem was that the plot is like every scene is basically just the, the guy who operates Waldo saying, I don't want to do this. And it feels mm-hmm. like it never really goes anywhere. Um, I don't know, Sunil, what, you, what, what was your take on this episode? I, I agree that this, there's, there's no possible here. This is easily the weakest episode. Um, I would actually say that of, out of all the episodes, this is the only one that actually fails. Um, every opera, every episode takes its premise and gets it to a place and to a satisfying resolution that may have parts messed up, but overall it does what it intended to do. And this episode I feel was not satisfying at the end, like, like, like the reader said. I felt that it had this idea of a, you know, this comedian mixing comedians and politics like you know, like what what if what if John Stewart were like actually had real influence on politics kind of thing but it it go it like you said it, it doesn't really go anywhere and then it it go then the ends up in this weird totality that that's the, the credit scene the weird government thing which do, wasn't really set up very well and it just it ends up being kind of a mess it just doesn't feel as at all as well written as any of the other episodes especially when it came out and especially because this one is the last one i watched you know after the first five before white christmas came out here are five episodes that are really good really interesting very well well written and then this is the last thing they put out and it's this is the one where like they didn't hit it they didn't hit the mark on this one but you know it's interesting because this is what charlie brooker does for a living and has for a long time, which is, and it's the same thing John Stewart and Stephen Colbert do. They mock politicians and, and turn them into, um, uh, entertainment. And on the one hand, I think that can be very useful. And, you know, it leads to some very funny moments, but like I was watching an episode of Charlie Brooker's Weekly Wipe, which is sort of his news critique show. And it was talking about one of the candidates, uh, who was running in the recent election. And it was making fun of the fact that, 
everywhere he went, he has a pint of beer to make himself look like a normal average Joe. And so it's this guy in setting after setting, really awkwardly drinking a pint of beer. Now, that's really funny. I laughed really hard. But what if he was also had some good ideas? What if he also was a good... And so I think it's interesting with Waldo that this is um, Charlie Brooker saying, what I do is kind of bogus and horrible and degrading. This also, of course, is one of the, the less science fictional episodes, which is, again, why it didn't play as well for me. Yeah, I agree. It was very slow. It was just a lot of the same man, like, kind of blubbering and protesting. Just mm. Can I actually ask a question, Teresa? Yeah. Because you were saying something earlier about the depiction of women, and it's something I hadn't really thought about much with this. And I, I'd kind of like to hear what you had to say on it, just because I'm kind of curious. Uh, yeah, sure. Actually, that could kind of lead into White Christmas because there was a lot of, there were a lot of women in that as well. Um, you know, I think by the, you know, since I kind of binged through this series, um, and took a little break before White Christmas, that I felt by the time the Waldo moment came around, I'm just kind of, a lot of the, the same stories. It's, you know, man pain. It's kind of like the only way I could think of it. You know, the guy in the entire history of you, are we supposed to, what feel bad for him because he's distrustful of his partner and she cheated on him and then he becomes crazy and that's who we're supposed to connect with. Then in the Waldo moment, the, you know, the, the comedian, you know, he's failed and he hooks up with that other politician and kind of ruins her career, you know, kind of out of spite. But we're really just thinking about all the women, except for uh, agent Carter and be right hmm. back. We're really, um, portrayed pretty poorly. They're dishonest, they're unfaithful to their husbands, and that kind of excuses away what the husbands do in a way. I mean, it doesn't overall, we're supposed to be horrified and depressed. But it's kind of like within the logic of the stories, they're, um, you know, like the, the women aren't sympathetic. And it's rarely from their point of view, we're following a guy's perspective on everything in the future, seeing it through their eyes. On your point, Teresa, about the repetition, there was one thing that really stuck out to me is there's there's like two places, I forget which two episodes there, but they have the exact same conversation where somebody says, you're such a dick, and then they kind of laugh about it. And yeah, I, I do. it did make me a little worried that if uh, if they had produced 50 episodes of this show, you know, yeah, it like might how all many... kind of be the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and I felt like in White Bear, uh, the character, you know, her boyfriend was the one who did the murder, but he killed himself in in prison or whatever so it's just kind of like you know vilifying the woman who of course she was an accessory but she's just portrayed as you know she was under his spell of of this man she was manipulated and the women in this show are you know easy to manipulate by other men you know we're not supposed to sympathize with a lot of the women you know um lady civil in 15 million merits you know, she's drugged and turned into a prostitute, you know, like a porn star. And it's just very easy. And that's the tragedy. You know, Bing has to save the princess. Uh, the prime minister has to save the Facebook princess. It got a little repetitive when you watch them so closely together and looking at it from that angle. I didn't realize a lot of it when I was watching the shows. But then after thinking about them as a whole, I was kind of like, hmm. Yeah, that's kind of saying something of a different way. And it's also ugly. And I noticed it more by the time when White Christmas came around, because I had time to think of the show, uh, that, yeah, the women in, in that were also very, like, culpable and very ugly. Well, well, right. Let's talk about White Christmas. This one is a little hard to summarize. Uh, yeah. But basically, there's a, there's a frame <laughs> story where Don Draper is talking to some guy 
and you don't know why. And then there are these sort of um, like stories within a story. Um, and I guess the well, so the first one, Don Draper is kind of like a um, a pickup artist kind of coach for this nerdy guy trying to pick up a woman at a bar. Um, so, Teresa, do you want to talk about that one in terms of the sort of um, women's issues you were just discussing? Well, yeah, it's like, oh, my God, the woman's a psycho. You know, like, like that's it. Like, oh, and it turned out Tonks is crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, again, like, we're all right. So I guess what's interesting about this is because maybe Charlie Brooker is so familiar with, you know, Mad Men and like the television landscape to have Don Draper come in or like his name. I actually know, like John Hamm to have John Hamm come in and be the star of this British show, it was a little weird. Kind of like, get this American out of Black Mirror. It doesn't feel quite like a Black Mirror episode. Um, but then to have this slick guy who, you know, whole pop culture persona is, you know, the ultimate ad man. He could sell you anything. To have him play like a pickup artist, I thought was very smart and fit. But then it was a little, and it just felt a little predictable to me. Like I didn't feel bad for the lonely nerd, you know, who couldn't get a woman on his own. And it's not like I think he deserved what he got. It was just very um, heavy, like, like, and malicious, I call it, like beating you over the head with this message of like, oh, this is dangerous. And you don't know who you can be getting involved with. And women be crazy. Well, can I just throw something in real quick to this, that part of it? Because you're right, this episode is like a couple of different parts. Um, one thing is, you know, so John Hamm isn't just the only pickup artist. Like, it's actually five or six of them who are all online at the same time watching this guy's conquest. They're all dudes, and they're all experiencing it through his eyes via technology. Um, and, uh, and what's interesting is he picks up this girl in the bar, and she, she they go back to her house, the, the nerd and the girl, and he starts protesting, I don't want to do this anymore, because he starts to realize everyone's about to watch him have sex, and he thinks, you know, things are awful, and, and they sort of egg him on, and one thing I thought was really interesting is, it, it, it really ties in with a lot of these stories you hear about uh, a gang rape, or group attacks, or something, where everyone sort of eggs each other on to this point of no return. And it was interesting in this case where they all egg this guy on to do something he doesn't want to do. And the point of no return isn't that something horrible happens to the woman. It's that something horrible happens to, to him, um, which I just thought was interesting. That sort of like group mind, let's, let's all gang up and do something none of us would do on our own. I mean, Sunil, what did you think of this episode? I, I really like this episode. Um, it is sort of, I guess it is sort of hard to summarize, like you said, because it is, it's using so many different concepts, but I was actually kind of, uh, interested in the fact that it, it was, it was sort of, it was very relevant. And it was taking so many different things that we've been talk, discussing over the year of the internet. Like, you know, you have this, the, you know, pickup artist, you have it essentially like 4chan egging, you know, you have, you have Don yeah. Draper and his 4chan buddies. <laughs> Uh, coaching this guy, in, you know, in, in, into into this with this woman, you have the concept of blocking taken to a whole new level. Where if you're block, if you block someone, they literally cannot even like acknowledge your existence. Um, there are so many various on, you know, that you know, various men on the internet type ideas that are thrown in this episode, which again does make the the women come off badly because you're portraying the men. As you're, you're sort of this this episode is almost like an MRA episode in a way. It's very it's sort of misogynistic to its core, and that it, because of that, the women end up having to be in that role that to to do that. 
But then, uh, in, in addition to all that, it goes, I also just loved all the science fictional concepts, the whole, you know, the plot twist where you're inside something, the weird duplicates of self-help clones and weird virtual... Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in this episode. Well, like there, there's the really horrifying thing where uh, Don Draper tortures Talisa from Game of Thrones. And just, you know, that he's able to just, you know, put her in solitary confinement for right. months at a time, just but with at the press of a button. Yeah, I heard someone describe that up like that part of the episode as a uh, Don Draper mansplains to an egg. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I mean, that's something we should uh, talk about a little bit, because that's the whole second half of the episode is the cookie where it's people are able to download sort of their personality into programming that's then used mostly to run their households. So, you know, the version of you that's downloaded into the cookie becomes sort of this in-house slave that knows you like your tea exactly at this temperature and what kind of toast you want. But like and be right back, it's a piece of technology that's how, where is it indistinguishable from a person? There's kind of like an interesting underemployment theme going on there. Like it's just cruel and unusual to use a person to run a house because it's so much less interesting than the, what they should be doing. Well, I was going to say, it's cruel and unusual to, to have a person run a house the way women have run houses for hundreds of years. <laughs> I mean, you know, her horror at what she's being forced to do is, is maybe exactly like the horror of some housewife in 1948 who's like, wait a minute, this is the rest of my life? Yeah, I think it would be interesting that a, a woman, like a modern day woman, would agree to using that kind of technology at all, knowing what it could imply and not being sympathetic to that. Well, you know, actually, can I just say, because, Therese, one thing I was thinking about when you were just talking about the portrayal of women in the show overall, one thing that's really interesting about Black Mirror is there's no writer's room. This show, every episode is written by Charlie Brooker, and he writes them on his own. He doesn't collaborate. So it's not like something like Breaking Bad or something where, or Mad Men even, where, you know, there are people of color in the writing, writing room and people of different ages in the writer's room and, and, and women in the writer's room. I mean, it's Charlie Brooker. And so... I think to to its benefit and to its, I guess, detriment at times, this show really is from a male point of view. I mean, it's very much from Charlie Brooker's point of view. And one thing that's sort of interesting, I think, is that over and over and over again on this show, women don't turn out to be who the guys think they are. You know, like in 15 Million Merits, he thinks that she's a princess he needs to rescue, when in fact, she's as opportunistic as him and wants to get out of there as badly as him. She's rescuing herself. Uh, she gets the audition and gets out of there. Um, and in like, um, I, I guess something like uh, White Christmas, you know, this guy thinks that this woman's an easy target and an easy mark, and she turns out to be crazy. Now, that's another horrible stereotype. But it's like over and over again on this show, Women, I guess there's this repeated danger that women just aren't projections of male fantasies for what they need them to be. Then again, you know, they do wind up being like, like, you know, a lot of things that don't sound great. They cheat, they do all these things. I need to just put in quickly that, um, Grady, you're, you're like 85% right, I guess, but actually, <laughs> uh, episode three of the entire history of you was written by somebody named Jesse Armstrong. Oh, really? Oh, okay, I didn't know that. And then episode two, 15 Million Merits, um, Charlie uh, Brooker co-wrote it with his wife, Connie Hugh. I'm not oh, sure he writes that. with her sometimes, yeah. And who was, what was the other episode? Entire it, History yeah, of Mute? Yeah. Got it. Yeah, it just feels like women are only good when they're faithful. Like, the best 
portrayed woman in the series was uh, the woman, like the grieving widow in Be Right Back. You know, she's the only one who's portrayed as being smart and, and good because she's so faithful to her man even after he dies. Oh, but see, I thought the the woman in entire history of you was, you know, she's this, I thought she was actually nice. So, I mean, you know, oh, I thought lots she was totally of people realistic, cheat. You know? Yeah, but lots of people cheat. You know what I mean? And it's a little bit like in White Christmas, you know, where it's another one of those things where this guy, the one that John Hamm is, is interrogating, he has this fantasy that his wife uh, had this abortion and, and you know, or, and, and didn't want this baby and all this stuff and that it's his baby. And he builds up this whole dream world around her. And then the second he realizes he's not even a part of her life, it's someone else's kid. It has nothing to do with him. Like he, he's not the main antagonist in her life. He's a bit part. He's a relationship that, that went away. Um, that's when he freaks out and gets violent because she wasn't performing according to his script. All right, cool. So, uh, Sunil, any final words on White Christmas? I really, I think I really, I like the fact that it, it had so many different concepts that all tied together. Like the fact that the blocking concept was sort of, oh, here's another thing, but that actually became part of the plot twist for the core episode. Yeah, that ending was pretty cool with him being yeah. the registered sex offender and he can't see anybody and they only see him as the sex offender wherever he goes. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, the blocking was really cool and it felt really plot. I could see that happening. I feel like a determined troll would really find a way around that though. You right, know, right. And, and they're getting definitely more tenacious. But it would be nice to think about being able to block people like that. Well, I was thinking, like, could you hold up signs, you know, like sometimes they have in music videos and stuff. But uh, <laughs> presu but presumably they could make those, you know, they could update the software to, you know, every time somebody found a, like a loophole, they could update the software to block that particular behavior. So, Well, and they blocked like photographs of the person. Right. I mean, everything. Can I ask you all a question? Because maybe I watched that episode wrong, White Christmas. But did you guys assume that the lifelong block that the woman puts on uh, her I, I, her ex, that she intended that to be a lifelong block because she didn't want him to know the truth about the kid? Or did you think that it was a lifelong block because she just forgot to take it off because he didn't mean that much to her after a year or so? Oh, I I, mm. I I haven't thought about that, but I'm I'm actually sort of guessing the latter, and that it was he, she. I mean, like like you do. It sometimes you block someone on Twitter, and then you forget that you block them, and while you block them, long time maybe maybe now you don't block them, but you kind of forgot what happened, so you just leave them blocked. But it, there's a part where he finds her, he comes across her later, and she's still ignoring him intentionally. So I, I got the feeling that she she just wanted him out of her life, and yeah. got it. I okay. think she yeah. was. I think she was a little scared of him. Okay. You know? and it, yeah, it was a long term relationship, and. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that it was a deliberate, I will block you because I know that blocking you will keep you from learning the truth about this, about your daughter. But that's, that's, I think that was sort of an, a, a great side effect. Yeah, I, I agree with Sunil there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. I watched it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch it again. <laughs> right now. Okay, and so like the last thing I want to talk about is uh, somebody mentioned earlier that this is being made into an American. There, at least there are people are talking about making this into an American TV show. Um, does anyone know anything about that? I know Robert Downey Jr. supposedly bought the rights to make entire history of you as a movie. 
Uh, but I don't know anything about an American version of the TV show. Yeah, no, this yeah, is it, something it, different. It was, yeah, it was the yeah Robert Downey is making sort of a detective story of the entire series of you using that technology. But the it was a, a last year, I think late last year, at some point there have been talks. It's one of those things where it's not it's not actually happening as far as I know. But there have been talks. We're going to discuss bringing Black Mirror to America, and this was. Maybe only a couple months after it came on Netflix, and you know my general reaction, and as you know, was just it's on Netflix. Just watch it on exactly. Netflix. Why would you remake it? It's right there to watch. Yeah, like would they remake Orphan Black for an American <laughs> audience just because it's on BBC America? Well, but on the other hand, there's like The Office and stuff like that that they remake for an American audience. Right, but... there have been. I mean, I I, yeah. I agree that there have been. The Office was a great was a great remake. I like the original and I love I love the remake. But I think that's I feel like that's the exception for remakes when it comes to British television. They haven't been very successful. But the other thing is, of course, that you look at these episodes and sort of how how dark they go, and it it's definitely would not it does not feel like a network television show you maybe on like HBO or Showtime you could do a similar black mirror type series where you can go all the way and really you know get get a go go into those darker places but network television they're not going to let you show the national anthem they're not going to usually like even things like the entire history of you like that goes to places where i feel like network's notes are going to say let's pull this back and let's have them reconcile <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't have the feeling, though, that they were just going to remake these particular episodes. I, I would have assumed that they were just going to tell new stories. And I, I did see that um, Charlie Brooker said that he would be the showrunner for a, a U.S. If they did a U.S. series, he would be the showrunner. So I think it would be pretty cool. I mean, I think that they should totally do that. They should get some female writers and they should get me as a writer. And uh, <laughs> I think that would be really good. But one thing I worry about is, you know, we haven't really touched on it, but, you know, this comes out of a whole tradition. I mean, the UK has always been really invested in spec fic uh, anthologies. I mean, all the way back to the 40s with stuff like Dead of Night, the horror anthology, and all the Tygon and Amicus horror movie anthologies from the 60s and 70s. And then they've had, like, so many either horror or science fiction or fantasy anthology series. I mean, I, I was thinking about it for and there's like at least a dozen I can name off the top of my head. And in, and so there's so much variety in the anthology format, um, especially when it comes to sci-fi and fantasy and horror in the UK. And over here, we basically have Tales from the Crypt and the Twilight Zone. Like, like every anthology about horror or sci-fi or something. It always has a twist at the end. It always has a moral because it comes from like one of kind of two sources of influence. So that's one thing I would worry about. And one thing I like about Black Mirror is there aren't these tidy little morals at the end. They're not these twists at the last minute where we go, oh no, it was a cookbook. Like, you know, <laughs> um, and I really worry that that's something that would sort of be part of Americanizing it. The other issue is, of course, is that with Black Mirror, you have these six episodes in this Christmas special. And if doing that on the American system, where they make you do 13 to 20 episodes in a year, I can't imagine the quality. Consider this. Consider the fact that we basically, we're almost generally agreed that every one of these episodes is really good, except for maybe Waldo Moment. Now, you did like 20 episodes of that, that percentage may drop. Exactly. I feel that, I have that frequent complaint about American TV. You know, they're just, you know, when you watch Buffy or Fringe or Supernatural, anything, why are there so many filler, terrible episodes? I'd rather have shorter seasons with tighter storytelling, hands down. 
Is there going to be another season of Black Mirror in the UK? Do we know? There, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's been. I don't think there's any official announcement. But I, in an interview, I heard Charlie Brooker talking about it in vague terms. So I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's possible. Certainly possible. Yeah, especially as it's getting more popular now with being on Netflix. I think they'd be really smart to do another few episodes. Now that we've done a panel audit on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, like, oh, they're going <laughs> to exactly. have to do that. Break big. <laughs> well, actually, and I just want to put in a quick pitch. I don't know if anyone else is watching Inside Number 9, which is another uh, UK anthology show that's out right now. Has anyone no. seen it? I haven't heard of it. It's the League of Gentlemen, guys. And there's been about two seasons. It's about six episodes a season. And they're 30-minute episodes instead of a full hour. But everything takes place in one location that's always number nine. Number nine train carriage, number nine room, number nine uh, call center answer stall. Um, and they range from everything from there's a witch hunting one, there's a horror one, there's a seance one, there's a sci-fi one, there's a revenge one. And they're really amazing. Um, wow. it's, it's, and there's actually, cause we were talking about, um, Black Mirror and how depressing it is. And they've actually got an episode that is called, uh, The 12 Days of Christine that is one of the most, I mean, it's one of those things you watch and you just cry at the end. And, oh, the humanity. Um, but if anyone is going to download anything, not that you should, Inside Number Nine is very much in the vein of Black Mirror. Um, and, and, you know, it's another anthology from the UK that's just amazing from a couple of comedians. I will have to, I'll have to wait two years and then watch it so I can keep up with the pattern. <laughs> wait till it's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I also do, like Teresa mentioned, um, the movie Her um, is basically a Black Mirror episode. And it's really good. And awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like that you had talked about uh, Ted Chang, that uh, liking yeah. what you see story. I feel like if the last one in that oh, yes. collection, I totally feel like that yeah, could be a that Black actually, Mirror that episode. Yeah, that is totally a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, man, but so there are so many, yeah, not a lot of Ted Chang stories are, can be, are basically Black Mirror episodes because he does that science fiction, take it to, like, we're going to see what happens when you do this, when you do this high science fiction concept. Yeah, that never occurred to me, but you're absolutely right. It's why I like Ted Chang. Actually, the one thing we never said was why it's called Black Mirror. Oh, that's true. That is a good point. Someone take it. Oh, I, I mean, he, he said in interviews that, you know, your screen, when you turn it off, it looks like a black mirror. And so... But it's also a dark mirror of our society and where <laughs> we could be going. I got to say, after hearing that quote from him, every time I, like, put my laptop to sleep, I just look at it for a second <laughs> yeah. and think, I'm scum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Grady Hendricks and Teresa DeLucci. And Sunil Patel. So, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you. Thank you. And that was our panel. So, big thanks again to Grady Hendricks, Teresa DeLucci, and Sunil Patel for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to everyone who's given us five stars on iTunes, including Bob from somewhere in NC, who writes, This is a great podcast. The interviews cover all kinds of authors and movies, so they are likely to cover a genre that you are interested in, especially if you are a geek. And these aren't off-the-cuff interviews. You can tell the interviewers have done a lot of background research and are genuinely interested in the answers. The discussions are good, too. There's a lot of give and take. The hosts of the podcast care about stuff that geeks care about and are willing to share their thoughts, ideas, and experiences. I enjoy when they discuss the first time they read such and such a book, because when they talk about how they felt when they first read it, I relive the same experience. So a big thanks again to Bob from Somewhere in NC for that great review. And of course, a special thank you to Matthew Proctor, Ellen Klauman, and Anton Castelli, 
who all signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd prefer to make a one-time or fixed monthly contribution, you can do that over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.